You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Public Health Pharmacist Podcast with Dr. Christina Madison. Dr. Madison's mission is focused on spreading knowledge about public health to create better communities. The Public Health Pharmacist is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Christina Madison, uh, the host of the Public Health Pharmacist Podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And today I have another extraordinary guest with me. This is Dr. Richard Ashworth, and I am very excited to have him join me here today and talk about his uh, his leadership journey, um, what he's doing for the profession of pharmacy, as well as just you know his pearls of wisdom for those of us who are just starting out in our leadership journey or our professional journey. So welcome, um, Richard. Thank you again so much for taking your time out of your very busy schedule. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Wonderful. So let's just dive right into the questions that we have. So first of all, um, can you just tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself and and your current position, and then we can go into how you got to be where you're at right now? Sure. So, you know, I'm I'm the president and CEO of Tivity Health, and it's it's really a, a kind of a lifestyle health engagement company focused primarily for seniors. We do that through a couple of different brands, but the most notable one is, is Silver Sneakers. And that's a that's a brand that helps uh, Medicare beneficiaries specifically get access to, you know, robust gym network, uh, virtual and digital capabilities to uh, to get physical activity, as well as social engagement and, and mental enrichment. Well, that sounds amazing, especially as our population ages. Uh, you know, there's more and more importance on not just, um, you know, the extension of our life, but the quality of life as we age. And so I think those are all very needed services. So with that being said, obviously title of, you know, CEO and being in a C-suite position as a pharmacist uh, is always, um, you know, it's, it's a new territory. And I think especially when you're in charge of a company that doesn't do a lot of things related to medication necessarily, that's always an interesting, uh, you know, prospect. And so I think oftentimes, you know, when we think about C-suite positions that are non, uh, you know, uh, specific to a pharmacy, I think pharmacists, unfortunately, are not considered to be like the first choice. So with that being said, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you came to uh, to be part of this company and a part of the you know the movement because um, I really do think this is kind of a movement right it's a movement toward health and wellness um, that you don't often see a lot of companies making and so um, just you know let us know how you came to be in this position and if it's serendipitous that's even better <laughs> yeah. Well, I sure didn't start out that way. <laughs> so I didn't start out as a CEO, right? I, I started out as a stock boy, actually. And that was my title and my name tag that they gave me at the store at, uh, at Walgreens when I was in high school. And I really fell in love with pharmacy. I fell in love with community-based healthcare. I love the pharmacists. They're accessible. They're, you know, you can walk up to any one of them and ask them, well, you know, I used to get all kinds of questions as a retail pharmacist, right? Like, you know, where's the cleaners? And 
you know, is this on sale and how much does this cost all the way to, you know, do these medications interact? And, um, I just lost my husband, you know, what, what should I do? I mean, you get like, you are just there for the gamut of, of everything. And I was really drawn to that. Um, I'm, all, I'm a relationship oriented person. And so I, I really fell in love with my patients. I fell in love with helping people. Um, but after working in that space for a while at that, you know, at one store and I'm from, I grew up and born and raised in Florida. And uh, I just really wanted to have a bigger kind of impact. And my, my view was maybe if I was, you know, uh, able to help more people than just my area in Pompano Beach or my area in Boca Raton where I was. Um, and so I, I went I went to business school, you know, and got, got a business degree. Um, so did all that stuff that you're supposed to do to help you with management. Um, and I stayed at Walgreens the whole time. They were gracious to help me, let me move around as I was going to school in different places. And, you know, push came to shove and some serendipity and some luck and some really hard work. I, I ended up leaving there as president of the company. And so really, really proud of that. Um, love that organization. Love what it does to help, to help people. But what drew me to Tivity was that I had spent my entire career on the treatment side. So everybody that I end up interacting with is sick or needs something. And I love medicine. Medicine gives longevity of life. Medicine gives quality of life. So it's just really noble profession, right? Um, but I wanted to get on the prevention side. I wanted to get on social determinants. We didn't use that term back then, but that's what I wanted. I wanted to get in front of it and help people have more connections, have better physical activity, to be more educated, to understand more, um, to live healthier lives. And we know that if you're healthier, you'll be happier, and therefore you won't need pharmacy as much, you won't need doctors as much, you won't need hospitals as much. And that was really the antithesis of the move for me was just a, a real appreciation for the, the desire to get in front of healthcare. Our healthcare system is so good at um, symptom care, but man, we have so many opportunities to help on that health and wellness side. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, from my aspect, obviously, you know, I look at pretty much everything from a public health lens and, you know, there's so much of what I'm currently seeing within our healthcare system that is so reactive instead of proactive. It's, it's very, um, unfortunately, it's very sad, um, especially when, you know, you're seeing all of these issues around the vaccine debate, which is by, you know, by far the single most effective preventative care uh, intervention in modern medicine. And yet we are still having people resistant to it is just, you know, obviously crazy to me. Uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, the more we put towards prevention, which is, you know, basically what your company is, is so highly invested in, um, the more we, we get the word out, right? Because, you know, we've seen over the pandemic, people delaying those preventative care visits, delaying those health and wellness visits, and it's taking a toll. You're seeing more people having to go uh, and be seen that are acutely ill and not managing chronic medical conditions, the, you know, uh, you know, the issues around that. When they do present, they're more severely ill, right? So there's all of these different things that could potentially either be lessened or prevented um, really with just a good dose of health and wellness, <laughs> you know? So, uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you, because, uh, during, uh, your, your last response, you had mentioned that you went to business school. So I'm curious, um, what do you think has been one of the best investments you've made during your professional career? Do you think it would be going back and getting your business degree? Cause obviously pharmacy school doesn't really teach us much about business principles, which, maybe changing because I think we're seeing a lot more uh, uh, 
pharmacist entrepreneurs these days. Uh, but I do think that that is something that is very interesting. I think that was a good investment business school. It helped me, you know, get something in, in terms of formal education that to your point, I didn't get in pharmacy school. You know, I went to Nova Southeastern, which I, I love that, love that school. And now they have a bunch of dual degrees, right? You can get an MPH and a PharmD, you can get an MBA and a PharmD. And so a lot of the schools, and that's not unique to NSU, a lot of schools have done that. And I think that's positive because you're, you're rounding out. But actually, I think the, the, the question is more around the best investment. And I will tell you, um, and everybody is already making this investment, who is getting out of pharmacy school. And that is, um, you know, at the ground level, getting experience at the patient level. So being eyeball to eyeball, irrespective of your setting, could be retail, could be hospital, could be community, could be long-term care, could be anything. Um, but getting that experience, you know, a couple of years, whatever it is of just ground, you know, warfare of how to take care of patients as a pharmacist, right? And I will tell you that is the biggest and strongest building block I could have ever have gotten. So I sit here now today and I put myself all the way back in my shoes when I was 20 years old, sitting in a retail drugstore, trying to help, you know, a very low socioeconomic group, you know, handle which medicines should they pick out of the four. They don't have enough money for all four, you know, and, and, and just watching the, the, the empathy that, that comes out of you because of the emotion of the experiences that you have. That is deep learning that you take into executive positions and you see people as CEOs or COOs or whatever put money in the wrong places. You see them not prioritizing things around experience and around the, the patient or around the customer, or around the member, depending on what term you want to use. And I find that that, that time I spent at the ground level being a cashier, being a, a photo specialist, you know, an assistant manager, a pharmacist, a, a pharmacy intern, a technician, that was that was the best building block I ever could have gotten for an investment in my career. That's so great to hear. I think, uh, you know, there's so much emphasis on kind of climbing the ladder sometimes that you forget that, you know, understanding how the sausage is made is sometimes so valuable, um, especially when you think about, uh, you know, career development and um, in good leadership, ultimately, because, uh, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I've, I've run tons of vaccination clinics and, you know, when you think about, you know, really grassroots getting down and dirty, as you said, in the trenches, you know, most of the time when you see, when you see somebody who's doing that, you don't automatically assume that that person's going to jump in and start, you know, giving the vaccinations or start, you know, processing paperwork or, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, you get to that point where it's like, almost like you're so detached from the work that it's hard to understand how to make adjustments that can really improve operations and logistics. And so I, I do agree with you that understanding all those nuts and bolts is really imperative to, um, to your future success because it helps you to empathize with your staff. And when they come to you with a problem, you actually understand how to fix it because you know what the issues were when you were doing that same job. So um, I, I really appreciate that, um, that sentiment. So I'm curious, uh, I'm not exactly sure, and I probably should know this, how long uh, your company has been around, but I'm sure everyone um, has been impacted for the good, the bad, whatever you want to call it from this pandemic. And I'm just curious, how have you guys kind of weathered the storm? And, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, because you mentioned social determinants of health, and that is something that you don't often hear discussed or, yeah. you know, uh, just 
you know, dealing with health disparities and inequities. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what, you know, what your company has, has done, um, you know, how you're, how you're managing. Um, I'm, I'm happy to see that it seems like we're kind of on the tail end of this. It looks like potentially, especially now that we have vaccinations for younger children. I think I really do see uh, hope on the horizon, but, you know, tell me a little bit of what you guys have experienced during this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, Silver Sneakers and, and Tiffany Health have been around for 30 years. So it's a, it's a long tenured company um, helping Medicare beneficiaries, you know, uh, at, the, at the start, which was born out of, like all good companies, born out of a problem, you know, which was helping seniors get more physically active, socially connected and mentally rich. The pandemic for us has been interesting. Well, for me personally, it was really interesting. I transitioned out of the president of Walgreens job into the CEO activity job in June of 20. And at that time, we had about 2 million Americans that had been tested positive for COVID. The, the nation was reeling at that time from the George Floyd death, right? I mean, that was just a, a, a tumultuous, but we had a, we had a, a presidential election that wasn't super friendly, right? It was, it was a really kind of dramatic Time Talk about going straight headfirst into the storm. <laughs> Kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, I was I was diving in, and I was also a first time CEO. So, you know, I've been the president of Walgreens, which is a very very large multi billion dollar company. But I had to quickly grasp some serious leadership skills. You know that that I would need to effectively lead our company and you know myself through the crisis. And after after a year now and a half into it, I, I couldn't be more proud of this team, this group of people who are just passion oriented, caring people who want to help seniors. It's not really, it's not any more complicated than that, but it also helped us create, you know, um, new tools, new capabilities. Most of those are on the digital front. Remember, you know, our, our company, one of the big value propositions we have is we bring 20,000 gyms to the forefront to allow seniors to go in at no cost to themselves to go get physical activity. Well, in June, they were all closed. So my number one product I couldn't sell. And so we went straight into digital and, and the future is going to be a combination of physical and digital, even for the senior population. So you're going to see physical because people like to get back together. I'm, I'm where you are. I'm encouraged. You know, we've now got, you know, impending tablets that can decrease, you know, the hospitalization and death rate. We've got, you know, rising vaccination rates for whatever the reasons are. We still have holdouts to your point, which I'm disappointed with as well. And now we have the ability to, to vaccinate our children as they're going to school. And so I think we are on the tail end and, and going to get into a, a better place in the future, which is great. But what's permanently going to stay is this adoption of digital and this adoption of virtual. And we find it to be efficient. So as a CEO, I worry about the, the, the economics, the math, right? The shareholders got to give them a return. Um, and I also worry about the member. Back to my point on my best learning was actually being live, you know, eyeball to eyeball. And um, I think virtual can bring new experiences. It can bring expansive experiences. It can bring more enriched experiences because of data, because of insights, because of connectivity. Um, not as a replacement always, maybe as additive, you know, for those experiences. And so for us, I, I find it as a massive growth vehicle for us. And the pandemic on the other end, I think, is going to be a tailwind. I think it's going to help companies to embrace new modalities of care across healthcare and across the social determinants in the health and wellness side. Well, they do say the mother of invention is necessity, right? So <laughs> I, I do think that a lot of the innovation that we have seen is because of the pandemic, right? And the fact that, you know, we had to come up with these solutions because people were not able to be in person. 
they weren't able to be around others. And I just, I think about, you know, what you just said, your largest product was getting seniors into gyms and everything was closed. Like, how do you even like process that as being like the, oh, oh shoot moment. Right. So I, I appreciate that honesty because, you know, the ability to pivot and to be flexible, that is something that I think that we take for granted because there are so many parts within our healthcare system that were unflexible and that were not able to pivot and, and really suffered uh, because of that. I mean, I look at our, you know, the fragility of our hospital systems and the fact that so many of them were so reliant on elective surgeries to keep them afloat and how small the margins were for their profits. And then not to mention the fact that we're dealing with staffing issues, not just on the pharmacy side, but on the nursing side and even just high level. So a lot of people were like, oh, I'm seeing these numbers and you know the ICUs aren't full. Well, they're not full, but we don't have enough skilled staff. Like I can't just pull somebody from you know, med surge and put them in an ICU and have them running like 16 different, you know, drips, like it's intensive, you know, like those are people who've trained for years to get to that point in their, um, you know, in their profession. And so it's just really interesting to see, um, you know, how some people have been able to pivot and then how other, how other companies have not. And so um, I'm really happy to see that, you know, Tivity has, has really embraced um, the telehealth um, and the virtual and the technology aspect. I attended HIMSS actually for the first time this year, which is one of the largest uh, technology conferences in the world. Uh, it was in Las Vegas. And I will tell you, there's so many things out there around uh, remote patient monitoring, which is about to be paid for by Medicaid. So I don't know if that's something that you guys are looking at from a physical activity standpoint. So um, yeah, I, I think the sky is just the limit. And I think we've really just kind of touched the surface on on what's possible, given that we now have a lot of these technologies that we didn't have in the past that are much better quality, which again, thinking about us doing this podcast right now, we are doing it virtually and we wouldn't have potentially been able to do that even just a year or two years ago now, I think. So because because we have grown and, and really changed so much. I'm curious, um, you know, obviously I, I know that your company is focused on seniors, but, you know, when we think about, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, issues around, you know, just our social uprising right now. So you mentioned George Floyd, you mentioned, uh, you know, political discourse, you know, what are you guys doing right now for, you know, equity, diversity, inclusion within your institution? Because obviously that's something that is in the forefront of our society. It's in the forefront um, of, you know, of the profession of pharmacy, you know, as we see um, you know, more emphasis being put on, you know, what's happening to women and women of color. I actually just did a presentation for um, ACCP all on um, the mortality rate for for women around pregnancy and how, you know, the disparities are just, um, you know, they're not, they're not something that we should be shying away from. It's something we need to be talking about. And so 
I'm wondering, um, you know, with the digital divide, with knowing that there are some seniors that may not have access to broadband internet or some of those other resources, you know, what are you guys doing to try to help, uh, you know, bridge those gaps for some of our vulnerable populations? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And uh, just to make a comment on the maternity deserts is a massive issue in this country. You know, so in, in lower socioeconomic and rural environments, you know, first time moms do not have access to OBGYNs the way that they should and, and the right kind of care. And therefore, the outcomes end up not being, you know, in, in their favor. I think from, from a DNI perspective, shortly after I got here, um, we launched a comprehensive diversity and inclusion program, and it was it was designed to, um, you know, we have many priorities here, <laughs> as, as all companies do. But one of the ones that wasn't a top priority for us was ensuring that we're doing everything we could to nurture and celebrate difference uh, in the workplace, and and that difference is good. The difference is not only right, meaning that morally uh, that difference needs to be uh, accepted and understood, but it's actually a business driver. And so, you know, it, it does both. And so in the past year, we formed a diversity and inclusion council. We implemented uh, many internal and external changes in terms of where we recruit from. The entire organization has gone through unconscious bias training for everybody. I love how people going into unconscious bias training talk about how they're not biased, and then they come out of unconscious bias training and realize that everyone is biased. Every single person in the country is biased just because of how you grew up, where you come from, what your parents believed, what your friends thought, uh, what geography you came from, you know, just bias isn't inherently wrong either. It is a fact of human nature. And so how do we embrace that so that we can open ourselves up to be, um, you know, to learn uh, and to grow about how difference is good. What I learned is that as the CEO is that you have to make it a real priority. So not just words, but you got to put it into action. And what I also learned is that enabling new perspectives brings in this curiosity within the workforce. And that curiosity is a powerful drive for business results. And so um, I'm, I'm really pleased with what we've been doing here in, 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 in promoting and bringing up um, diversity and uh, indifference as an, as an organization that embraces it. In terms of our members, we do a lot of uh, survey data and insight data to get at what communities are having certain challenges. And we find the very same thing that all the national um, you know, data finds, you know, that people in lower socioeconomic groups do not have the quality of, of uh, internet access or the uh, or the trust <laughs> to actually get into those kinds of uh, communities. And so figuring out the right public-private partnerships to get people um, activated. I'll give you a quick example. I live in Chicago. You want to get um, you know the south side of Chicago activated to get vaccinated, which was a real challenge for us here in Illinois. Um, it won't be uh, me coming down there as your local pharmacist and telling you you should get the vaccine because it's good for you. That is not going to activate the south side of Chicago. But you get the church network and you get the aldermen together, and boom, you start to get hundreds of thousands of people vaccinated because it's people that they trust. And so thinking about how to embrace that, if you didn't have an appreciation for difference or for understanding that different populations respond to different people differently, um, you're not going to be successful. So, you know, by having celebrities on TV, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, just having celebrities on TV talk about vaccination is fine. But most people around the country are not motivated by what celebrities think. Most people are motivated by what their friends, their family, and trusted you know, people in their lives think. And so that, that's a big part of something we've been doing with this community. Yeah, I love that, you know, that thought process around who do you like, know, and trust. And it really goes back to who's part of your social network, who's, who's part of your, your peer group. 
I, I really appreciate you, you know, you bringing that up because, you know, the, the use of faith leaders and community organizers, I think really did turn the tide, um, especially in communities of color. Um, because when you look at adults, we actually have been able to bridge that gap where initially during the pandemic, um, we saw disproportionate rates of vaccination being higher in, um, you know, uh, non, uh, communities of color, but now they've kind of both gotten up to the point where they're about almost at the same level. And again, I think going back to the, you know, that thought process that you have to go to people and meet people where they are. And that's, you know, engaging them with questions, not, you know, thinking that they're silly because they think that, you know, somehow the vaccine is going to make them magnetic or make them sterile, you know, answer their questions, be, uh, you know, be honest with them. Don't make fun of them because now you've completely turned them off from the healthcare system. (laughs) You know, it's like all it takes is one bad interaction with a healthcare professional to, you know, to make people not want to get preventative care services, not want to engage in the system. Uh, so, you know, I think that that's great that you guys are doing that, that you're doing survey research and, and really trying to get at the heart of why, you know, people, um, are trying to access services. So, um, I think, uh, you know, we, we have discussed many things, uh, but, uh, one thing I think wasn't on our script, but I do always like to ask this question and I wasn't sure how much time we have, but, uh, what kind of books would you recommend? I, I'm an avid reader and, and I know a lot of leaders, uh, really, you know, praise using, you know, that time to read, to digest, to, you know, educate themselves and to, to see other perspectives. And I'm just curious, um, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, literature that you've read recently that you feel like has been helpful in your leadership journey, because you mentioned you were president, but, you know, being president, being CEO are two different things. And so, um, you know, what's, uh, really helped you to kind of get to the point where you feel so comfortable in your current position? You know, it's, um, I'm, I'm an avid reader. So I spend a lot of time, um, uh, reading books and, uh, I do a, a weekly video for my entire organization and I do something called coffee talk. And then we talk a lot about whatever active book I'm reading right now. Um, there are two authors that I, um, actually three, I guess, that I would I would really talk about quite a bit. The first one is I read pretty much everything from from Patrick Lencioni, right? Like his books are short, they're easy to consume. Um, the point that he's making is usually a very deep uh, kind of leadership uh, insight. Um, and the last one I just read was The Motive. And I love this because we actually talked about this just a minute ago. Um, we were talking about how... Um, going too fast in your career, like spend time, you know, in, in the, in the different phases of your career to dense up and really understand and appreciate kind of where you are. And that will make you a better leader later, uh, because you had these, these, uh, these ground movements, but a lot of times people are wanting to move fast. And the, the, the book, the motive is all about why, why do you want to be a leader? Not how, not what school to go to, not what education to get all that kind of stuff, but why you want to be a leader and really being uh, retrospective on that is, is making sure that you're in a position that you actually want to really have. It's not about more money all the time or a, or a title or some statue stature. It's about what you're getting. I like, I like Lencioni. He's got five dysfunctions of a team, a bunch of other books that are just really, really good. I think on the other side, um, you know, I spent a lot of time reading, um, things from Covey. 
the, the data and the sun both. Um, and Speed of Trust is one of my favorite books of all time. And it, it's, it, it works in your personal life with your personal relationships and it works in your professional one too. It talks about how you build trust and how trust brings speed to organizations. And the last one is an author that I read. Um, I've read pretty much every single thing he's written is John Maxwell. And I find him to be... Um, honestly, just a slayer of truth, man. I mean, if you want to, and I've really been convicted myself and I have not, um, most of the time it's not things that I've done wrong. Like, you know, cause I, I really care about people. I try and do the right thing all the time. It's more about like missed opportunities that you could have done something differently or better. So I'm always on a, on a journey of learning and I, I read a ton of history books too, but they're not business stuff. So I, I've read all about world war II, all of our president's biographies, all that kind of stuff. And I, I love history and I find history to be you know, a really important indicator of our past is important to understand so that a, we can repeat the things that work or maybe stay away from, you know, the things that didn't work. And so th those are three authors that I spend, uh, I spend quite a bit of time on. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing those uh, pearls of wisdom. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, when we think about opportunity cost, right? So the thing that you're doing right now is that keeping you away from another opportunity? And is your next move purely financial? Because a lot of times when you're looking at it from a purely financial lens, you may not be happy or be fulfilled. And I think as I grow in my own career, um, and I'm going to date myself here because I've been a pharmacist for about 17 years, um, don't let the baby face fool you, uh, <laughs> um, is that I am getting to the point now where I, I truly feel like whatever my next steps are, it needs to be only things that give me joy and only things that further my mission and my passion for caring for underserved communities and for spreading the word about public health and why it matters and, and educating others. And, um, you know, the money's great, but it doesn't help you go to sleep at night, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, there, there are opportunities that come along that may not seem that great at the time um, or, you know, things that you may do that may be unpaid, but not knowing at the time that it may catapult your career because somebody may have seen you or it resonated with them and then they want to connect with you. And then that may lead to something that is paid or revenue generating. And so I, I always think, you know, you're, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah, there's no and 20 things are Yeah, I agree with I, I agree with that by the way. You're you're where you're supposed to be and I think you need to make the right choices so that you put yourself in the right position. So there's probably not a 22 or 23, 24 year old person listening is like, "Yeah, okay, that sounds great guys because you already made some money." But, you know, I'm sitting here in my, in the start of my career. What I would what I would point you to is at the end of your life. You know, I've been to many funerals. We just had a, a, an employee of ours pass away. I went to to her funeral out in in Arizona. And, um, you know, no one starts off with uh, her bank account had this in it and the car she drove was this and uh, the, the, the kind of purse she had was uh, this or the watch he wore was that no one says anything about any of that. And it's all about the impact and the difference that they made in the lives of their community, their family, their friends. And that's what really does matter. And I will tell you that if you focus on that and be where you're supposed to be, I guarantee you, you will make the money. The money will follow you because you're doing the right things, you're behaving the right way, and you are a light. You're bringing something to the world versus trying to consume from it, which is focusing on pay, focusing on title, focusing on, you know, 
yourself. I have this conversation with my kids all the time, and it's true even for adults. And so I think you bring up a really important point. Well, and I will also uh, counter that with a book called The Go-Giver. Um, I don't know if you've read that book, uh, The Go-Giver. Um, which is basically talks all about that concept where if you put yourself out there and you give yourself to others, the money will, will come. Take a look at it. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Richard, for your time today. This has been extraordinary. And um, I can't tell you how thrilled I was when I received the initial email um, requesting uh, you as a guest. I, I felt so honored. And I'm like, man, I am I must be doing something right. I'm getting a, a phone call from someone's PR representative <laughs> to be on my podcast. So I just thought that that was um, just amazing. And, and I love that you're putting yourself out there in order to, you know, to get the, the business out there and to also just, you know, talk about your journey and, and how that could potentially benefit other pharmacists and other healthcare professionals. So um, I unfortunately have to end our interview, but if there's any little last minute pearls of wisdom you'd like to impart to our audience, um, please let us know if there's like just one or two more things that you want to share that you'd love to leave us with. And I hope that we can stay connected and I'd love to continue to, to watch your journey as a new CEO. Yeah, I give, I give the same uh, advice all the time to people, which is, you know, make sure you're really curious, ask lots of good questions, lean forward, say yes, and it's okay to fail. You know, if, you, if you're always worried about failing, you won't take the right risks, therefore you won't create the right value. So lean forward, say yes, be curious and take risks. That's, that's advice. But that's advice I would give myself if I was able to do it all over again. There's a few times in my career where I don't think I created the best opportunity or the right opportunity for my team, for myself, or even for my family, because I was worried that if it didn't work out well, oh my gosh, what would happen, right? I mean, what if what if it, what if it failed and I lost my job? Oh my gosh, you know, what, what, how would I handle that? What would I do? And the reality is, is you'd find another job and you would do it again. And now you have learning of what not to do. Because you, you, mistakes are also building blocks of learning. That's how we get scars, right? Now, we don't do stupid things. We don't go crazy. But we just make sure we're very thoughtful about it. But take risks, lean forward, say yes. I love that. The power of yes. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to following you. And um, I hope that our listeners have taken away um, as much from this conversation as I have. Until next time, Richard. Thank you. Take care. Time is our most precious asset. And we thank you for spending your time with us and Dr. Madison, the public health pharmacist. Learn more at thepublichealthpharmacist.com.